Well, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Narrowgate Podcast. My name is Benjamin Hoover, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist out of Roseville, California. And I'm a little nervous about this episode, and kind of excited. Um, because there's a, there's a couple things in this. Is One, I'm going to share my story. And um, this story has to do with anxiety. And so I'm still kind of working on the title of this writing piece. And, um, and even the title of this podcast episode, I guess. Um, but, uh, but, but the, what I'd like to call it is anxiety when things get weird. Um, cause in my opinion, the reality is I think anxiety is weird and the way the behaviors, um, uh, manifest or get displayed when we feel anxious, uh, is kind of fascinating. So I'm sure some of you are aware of some of the anxiety disorders out there, um, you know, um, like, well, technically it doesn't fall into an anxiety disorder category, but it, uh, carries some of those attributes, but, um, but like obsessive compulsive disorder, things like that. So, um, but like maybe sometimes ticks, um, I can't think of anything else right now, but anyway, so, uh, so that's what I'm, I'm touching on today. And so it's interesting, right? Because uh, anxiety is it's a fascinating emotion to me. Um, it's something that I have felt throughout my life. And the way that it played out in my early childhood was quite interesting. So I kind of hope that um, in this episode, I, uh, I'd share or um, maybe give some hope or some understanding to what your anxiety means or why you have some of these anxious behaviors uh, paired with the anxiety you feel. And, you know, I take this position about feelings and I'm, I'm going to be on this bent for a while um, regarding feelings because I think, uh, I think they've been so undervalued and they've been so shamed and, uh, and, and misconstrued and, uh, and that in of itself piques my curiosity because, uh, I, I think, and I, and my theory in that is that emotions carry these powerful messages that tell us about our world, about our relationships, about ourselves, um, what's going on. It's this a very significant reaction to uh, the environment, to healing, to change, um, things undealt with. <coughs> so I, uh, I really want to emphasize and promote the importance of, uh, of our emotions. And so, because, I mean for me, for the longest time, and I still kind of fall into this, is I would judge these feelings. And yet these feelings were these honest reactions of what was going on. Um, you know, we sometimes hear, at least for those of us maybe in the church, we'll hear things like, um, you know, well, don't trust your heart. Or, 
you know, don't, don't follow your emotions or whatnot. But um, I don't know if I entirely agree with that. I think that our emotions are teaching us something, and I think we do need to follow them. Um, sometimes we end up following them impulsively, but I think, um, I, I don't know, I, I, I think if we really listen to them, they're guiding us to places that we need to look at, that we, or that they're asking us to respond to. So, uh, so I really wanted to kind of crack open anxiety, and this is more just uh, to get the ball rolling for you. And so, uh, when it comes to understanding your own self, so, um, so this is my story. This is unique to me. Um, this is what I've come to learn about anxiety. And so it may not be entirely applicable to you or it may. So I, you, I do think that (laughs) emotions have this universal message really, uh, imbued in them. So, but you know, the way they play out and maybe the nuances of the messages could could vary here and there. But the point of this is really to get you thinking and listening to that emotional part of yourself. <laughs> so, um, because I, I, again, and I'll keep going on this rant, is that I really believe that when we um, actually feel and feel through and connect to our emotions, um, it, it, uh, we become more connected with life and, and, and less and less disconnected. So anyway, um, I am stepping off that soapbox and I will step onto another soapbox and I'm going to share my story. So, um, so my childhood now I'm presenting this and this wasn't all of my childhood, but this, this definitely had, uh, sometimes would get center stage here. Um, but my childhood was saturated with anxiety and fear. Um, and also my adolescent years and my, and my early adult years. And, uh, anxiety has been one of those things that I just, I couldn't escape. Uh, it, it was this inner torment. Um, these, these, these bullies, basically, and poking and prodding and nudging and, and, I mean, just really robbing me. I I mean, I I wish, I wish, I wish you guys could, like, one, travel back in time and enter into my body, which is probably a weird idea, and, and feel, and maybe some of you listening to this, like, you get that feeling of, uh, a constant anxiety. And, um, but I, I, I really, I couldn't escape it. I tried. Um, I tried to focus on the good. I would ruminate on the the outcomes, even if it it wasn't favorable. I would just I I was um, constantly searching for uh, solace from this, you know, fixating on scenarios. Um, uh, uh, even in later years, like trying to do some breathing, and which is fine. I'm I'm not gonna criticize that. I I. Um, I think there's a place for that. Um, I think when the anxiety gets so overwhelming that we actually need, we need to be able to regulate it. Like, so it doesn't get so out of control. Cause then we can't, we, we can't think about it and why it's there and listen to it. So anyway, so, um, 
but I, I did many things, and as I got older, I, I tried, I, well, I usually resorted to the same stuff of, of ruminating on the, the potential outcome of the scenario, um, and, uh, you know, or, or try to focus on the good, and, like, very briefly would I feel some reprieve from the, the, the pounding of anxiousness in my body, in my stomach. Um, but nonetheless, it was unrelenting. And, uh, but as a kid, and, and this is where I want to get to of, of, um, you know, just sharing some of my family environment, but, but as a kid, like part of dealing with my anxieties, I would throw myself on the ground, sometimes literally, sometimes metaphorically prostrate, um, you know, not prostate, that's different, but prostrate, like literally on the floor, you know, begging my parent to come back to me, um, you know, or avoiding any scenarios that would uh, put me in the wrath of this parent. Uh, I would beat myself up with words, um, become so emotionally uh, um, just... I hate saying dramatic, but like just emotionally demonstrative in order to escape like a rate relational harm. And then, you know, as I got older too, like I, I would pray as well, you know, but what I'd pray about in my anxiety is, you know, like take these feelings away, you know, and, you know, or I would obsessively try to figure out the right combination of words to get to God, to get him to, to do something about this horrible experience going on within me. Um, but it just, none of that would change. None of it. And there's a reason for that. So let me talk about where it all began. All right. So, so here's, here's my, here is a big part of my childhood. Um, and I'll just kind of list this. Uh, and I'm avoiding, um, pronouns just because, whoever's listening to this might know of my parents. Um, normally I, I don't, I, it doesn't matter, but I, um, entirely, but I, I want to respect the people in my life. So, um, I will do my best to try to use, uh, very vague, non-descriptive pronouns. Anyway, so, um, so first of all, the fear began with one of my parents and it began with their responses to me and their anger. And what would happen is this person would, uh, with any kind of quote unquote mistake, I would make, um, I would, I would experience this person's very intense anger. And then they, and then when I would get angry or this person would sense my anger that they would pull away and shut down and refuse to acknowledge my presence. Uh, and, uh, so that was one part. And then it also to do with the tension between my parents where there was often fighting, just constant arguments, intense arguments, and then things left unresolved. And one parent would storm out of the house, slamming the door. And that was, that was jarring and traumatic, uh, you know, kind of create that jump in me. And, and, and I mean, think about that as a kid and you're watching your parents just in their emotional storm and not work, not able to work through it and, and stay connected and, 
uh, and it and it moved towards closeness. Like no, it it ended with one of my parents, you know, just just enraged, leaving the house and going out and driving. Like that was scary. So uh, and then there were other moments where I watched my parent, one parent, dismiss the other. Um, their emotion, or were condescending, or there was sarcasm, or there was hurtful responses, anything that kind of fueled a, a disconnection and perpetuated that. And, uh, and then I would become the confidant to one of my parents who would express their anguish and pain and anger about the other, about their spouse. Uh, and so the unfinished repair would pour out to me. And I, I became the emotional bandage. So think about that, that, that there's, there's already something off in the, the way the family, the, the rhythm of the family. Uh, now I'm becoming kind of the emotional support and, and taking that on. And a child is never meant to do that, never meant to carry that burden. Um, the, the, the parents are really supposed to work that out and strengthen that, that, that union, that bond. Um, that's where the stability is, is central. So, uh, so that didn't, that didn't happen in my childhood. And, and, you know, and in response to feeling, to being this confidant, I, um, my body would, would just kind of writhe or squirm in discomfort. And yet I felt trapped because if I were to say anything or confront this parent, uh, it would it would obviously threaten that that distance in the relationship. Um, uh, added to all this was this uh, intense fear of making mistakes because it would be met with very intense vitriolic anger. I mean, and I was the vessel of that anger. And, you know, and yet through the anger, now that I see it, um, having worked through that, um, were obviously these deep, young cries, uh, you know, woven into that anger of this parent and the deepest wounds there. And yet it was all projected onto me. And in response to that, I would feel myself freeze and internally collapse um, really being sucked into the what I'd like to call as the black hole of shame, just feeling myself just um, wanting to hide. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever felt that, um, but there's this feeling with your parent that that who's you're getting the deluge of their anger, and and you yourself are feeling angry and. <laughs> because it hurts, because anger is connected to hurt and pain, and and yet having to stifle that and push that down, and uh, which I'm going to be touching on anger, I think, next. Uh, that's, a, that's a huge one, um, and maybe a controversial one. But, uh, but I'd bury that, and because I would feel this uh, within myself, this experience, this, I'd feel torn because I'd want to hide and pull away. And yet I didn't want to lose the love of this parent. And so I, I just froze. I didn't know what to do. Like instinctually I froze <laughs> and I remained in this frozen state during those moments and just stuffing down this anger and rage. And, um, so needless to say, 
having shared all that with you now, I think it's probably fair to say that these uh, these experiences lended to a really strong insecurity within my family, and uh, and so and, and on top of that, when any of us lack that safety and security in our family relationships in any way, well, naturally we're going to have some emotions about that uh, because that's those are the signals that something's off. And, uh, and so, you know, and so for me, these emotions manifested in fear, which, and, you know, can present itself in many ways. So, you know, kind of the typical behaviors or responses to my fear would, you know, be like toiling in the anxiety, my stomach suffering, the, the blows of terror, the, you know, those were kind of a part of it. And, and then some of my behaviors, um, you know, on top of that was, you know, fixating on what would happen. Um, you know, when, when one parent finds out that I, you know, landed into trouble or, you know, attempting to do better to appease that parent, uh, you know, or trying to find some silver lining to calm myself, you know, those were common. However, that didn't stay there. In fact, it actually grew even more. So eventually it developed into the, into some very interesting stuff. So I'm laying this all out there for you people. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I think it's good to share this stuff. And I think it's important and valuable for anyone listening to learn. Maybe you have a loved one, maybe you yourself are going through it. Um, I just, I just want there to, to, to be some, growing consciousness of what's going on in you and why that's important. So, uh, where am I? So what began to happen is, and I I don't know the order of things, but I think it started with this is I started to develop this fixation over, um, over ailments, over diseases, over any kind of physical threatening condition in my body. Uh, anything that would lead to pain, like surgery, like having to get, um, you know, um, surgery, uh, that kind of care that, that also created pain. Like I, I was terrified of that. I mean, I, I, I just even l- like when I would listen or hear, um, some, someone having cancer, some type of cancer or going through some painful, um, reparative experience, I, oh man, my body would just radiate with like this cold jolt of fear and actually fear like terror really. And I would start ruminating on it and I would start touching my body all over to, you know, are there bumps anywhere? Are there, you know, does this hurt here? Of course it's going to hurt. Cause I touched myself. I would like poke at myself, you know, I mean, just, uh, just relentlessly. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, so this became a real obsession. And what was really kind of an illusion or fabrication uh, of some disease became very real and tangible in my mind. I, I don't mean that, like, all of a sudden it appeared in real life. I just mean it, it, it was almost believable for me. But it didn't stop there. And then I would panic... This is where it got really weird. And I'm laughing because it's just it's just so interesting and fascinating and I can laugh at that stuff because it 
you know, was a part of it. Which actually, on a side note, actually when I was writing all this out, um, I actually uh, began to cry. Like there was a lot of emotion for me that came up as I was processing this. So interesting that that was um, a part of this writing experience. So it, to me, it seems like there were, I don't know if it was things undealt with, but could have been. Um, but something was there with that emotion. So, so then what would happen is I would then develop this panic over words I would use, but not just any words. We're talking about like profanity. Like I thought I would, I said something profane. I thought that I cussed when I talked. Um, I didn't actually cuss, but I would say something and then I would comb over that obsessively uh, thinking that I said shit or damn or you know, whatever you have, you know, uh, this would happen. And, uh, or I thought that I, I thought that I would flip someone off or flip someone off. Um, you know, and so I would pay very, I would be very vigilant about, how my hands moved or I even think I thought I think I had the thought one time that I flipped someone off with my toes my middle toe so uh, interesting but I for me as a boy as, as as much as I'm laughing at it now and if you're hearing this you might be laughing at it too but it was it was so tormenting for me so tormenting uh, it, it was oh it it was it was, I mean, that's the best way. I wish there was a better way. It was, it was, um, it was like a terrorist to me internally. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, whenever I would talk, I was convinced that I slipped some kind of profanity in there. And as a kid, you know, we were told like we can't use profanity, but I was so terrified of saying that. And so neurotically would study my words. And then there was one time where I thought my mom was a lesbian, which she's not, um, because of just her relationship with her friends. Like they talked all the time, and all of a sudden I had this thought of, oh well, what if, what if she's a lesbian? And I got scared. And then I obsessed over my own sexuality, which is another conversation, because um, there's a little more stuff in depth about that. Uh, and I also had behavioral and vocal tics, like. Uh, humming, like weird humming, or um, I don't know, I don't describe it. Some some little short staccato type noise, and maybe other idiosyncratic movements like blinking. And um, so yeah, and and when I get stressed, I think I still kind of have the blinking thing, or I'm really tired. Uh, also, in addition to that, this this isn't it. Um, I would think this is probably the last one, but. I also pulled out my hair. Um, like, literally, there would be visible gaps in my eyebrows and eyelashes uh, of, of, of this hair pulling. And it really was this evidence of me, of this troubled and unsettled internal world that was going on for me. And, uh, and so, how would, I, how would I deal with all this, right? Like, there's, there's got to be... There's got to be a way to to deal with some of this stuff, and obviously the hair pulling and you know and the vocal tics and stuff that was a part of trying to deal with the anxiety. But then what about all the like thinking I said shit when I was talking, or um, or thinking my mom was a lesbian, or 
or worrying about my own sexuality or um, or the physical ailment struggle. Well, I would share them with my parents. Now, this is important, right? Like, pay attention to this. But I would share it with them all the time to the point where <laughs> one of my parents would occasionally snap in frustration. Um, I mean, that's how often... I would struggle with this. It would almost be an everyday occurrence, like in kind of later elementary school, junior high, some of high school. And so, and, and the process of when I would share them, I would stumble over my words, circumventing what I was really wanting to say. Like I think I said some kind of profanity or whatever. And I would do this over and over again, just feverishly looking for relief. And I felt, you know, like, not just relief, like, I was looking for peace. And so whenever this particular thought and feeling came up, I would just, I would spend hours focusing on it. You know, just working up the courage to share with my parents, like, what was coming up. And a lot of times the response was, you're fine, everything's gonna be okay, you know, and my entire soul would settle in relief. And I think mostly it wasn't, entirely what they said. I mean, part of it was what they said, but I think part of it was just how they responded, you know, like how they said it. And, um, you know, and I would feel back to connection, grounded with life again. Excitement would return. I'd go back out to explore and connect with the world around me, but that wouldn't last long. Um, oh, that was the other thing that I just thought about. I would also, uh, I would also fixate on satanic things like not not in the sense of like like worshiping it satan or whatever getting that ritual but like literally afraid of coming across that stuff um seeing symbols anything like that i would just i would be terrified so yeah there was that too i forgot about that let's throw that in there um so i was you know and so my parents you know in in uh, in the presence of me, they would be calm and most of the time and, um, you know, say that I was okay. But then in the background, not that I heard it, but I just mean, eventually they told me uh, later on in my years, like in the background, they'd have these worried conversations about me. Um, but I was tormented for years and years and it seemed like there was no end to this. And eventually I went to therapy in, um, like I think my senior close to my senior year in high school for a couple sessions, which had helped in some ways. And, and then as I got older, you know, the strange obsessions began to subside, particularly, I think, you know, one was seeking help. Uh, but then, you know, I went off to college and, uh, and, and away from my family. <laughs> so I think it was pretty interesting that, um, that I think when I connected outside of the family, as I got older, um, and got help and moved away that the obsessions didn't have as much power. So, um, so I kind of see that as a possible connection. So what does this all mean? Right. Um, one of the sections of my writing, I title that anxiety is that emotional neighbor that just won't leave you alone. It's just constantly knocking. Right. And so as I entered in my thirties, um, and as I actually, as I became a therapist, I started to learn a lot more about the depths of humanity. And, and that really 
a lot of that deep understanding started with going into the depths of myself, exploring the emotional realm, feeling it as hard and disquieting as it was. So I entered in my 30s, and so this understanding and awareness started to sharpen and deepen. And I began to realize that my emotions were communicating something, you know, unrelentingly poking at me <laughs> until I listened. And so, and, 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 and when I turned towards my feelings, when I, I turned towards them and when I turned towards them now, I've found that they actually have led me somewhere to, into the truth of my situation, into, into my circumstance, into the relational connection. Um, so much there, but, but it, it leads into the, the reality of what's going on, the truth, the honest experience of what's happening. And so that's why emotions are not just some fabricated thing or whatnot it, it, and about some illusory circumstance. No, they're actually very, very real reactions to what's happening in our world. That's so important to understand. Um, so that's why, personally for me, what I found that anything that distracts me from my emotional realm, um, preventing it, it prevents me from feeling and knowing myself even more. And so any attempt to get me away from the feelings... I believe is a blockage from growing and evolving into my true self, becoming whole. <coughs> and, um, and whether that's trying to change my thinking about something or trying to distract myself or only looking at the positive or praying for the other person when I really hate them or I'm deeply hurt by them or, which is basically the same thing, um, or praying that these feelings would leave or even attempting to alter my behavior those are routes that actually lead me away from the feeling. <laughs> so, uh, and, and even like, you know, like drug use. Like, I don't use drugs. Um, you know, that's never been a struggle, and I, I never have. But, but even in that, um, that's, that would take me away from the feeling, right? And, 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 and what it's teaching me. So... Um, so what I believe is really necessary and essential is that we make these continuous returns back to ourselves, which includes coming back to the feeling, feeling through our emotion and developing awareness of what they're, of what they're saying, what they're communicating. So this is why, let me explain why my anxiety then manifested in those ways, right? Because the behavior is the behavior in response to the emotion. I mean, think about it, like, Whenever you have an emotion, you have this impulse to act off of it. You have there's a physical component of doing something about the emotion. When you feel angry, you want to be destructive. When you feel sad, you want to just like heave and and grieve and 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 you know just blow it out of you necessarily, for better lack of words. Um, and so the same thing is with anxiety, right? And so the behaviors were really kind of this attempt to deal with the anxiety, but the anxiety had to do with my environment. And the anxiety had to do with other emotions going on within me that was connected to in my, my environment. And when you feel anxiety, think about it. It's really another way of saying that you're unsettled, that you're restless, because you can feel it. Your body's keyed up. It's it tightens, your lungs constrict, it, it, you, it starts to close up your breathing shallows. It, I mean, that is literally what happens, right? 
And so that's what I would feel as a young boy. And, and, and really the truth was that I was unsettled about the things that were happening in my family, the way I was treated, the way other people were being treated, the, 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 the conflict that had no resolve to it. Um, but the reality is I had no idea what this feeling was and what it was trying to tell me. Maybe instinctually in my core I might have known, but I didn't have my parents guiding me to understand that. But the reality is, is I think a lot of my anxiety pointed to how deeply enraged I really felt. Um, but this lack of emotional understanding, which was due to my parents not helping me to understand it, and that, that's a huge important role of parents is to help their children learn about their, their internal world, their emotional self. So the, um, uh, where am I? I'm, I'm lost. Hang on. Bear with me. Um, so, but I lived in this fight or flight state. Um, and, and, and the way that it presented myself for me is I would freeze. I would collapse or I would start complying or begging or, um, that, that was my instinctual. So I wouldn't like hit or I wouldn't run away. <laughs> um, at least not with this particular parent. Um, I uh, instead I would I would freeze when they were um, when I was in the the throes of their anger, and then when they pull away, I would I would just be overcome with the greatest fear and uh, and the threat to my existence. Like it felt destructive that I would do anything I could to to get to win this person's love back and restore harmony into the relationship. So, um, but, but so the anxiety behaviors like the tics, the OCD, the pulling the hair, the weird thinking, all of that was really an expression of relational dissonance. I was trying to say something is off here. This is wrong. What's happening in the family. A parent that I feared and was terrified of this parent's love and the unresolved tension and fights between the, my parents and, you know, and, and, and another parent who avoided being vulnerable and working through the troubles in, in their own life and their marriage. I mean, all of that lended to uh, feeling the, the lack of safety and security within the family. Um, so, in other words, my early experiences were built on rocky ground. And my own sense and awareness and connect, connection to myself was blurred by this constant unsettledness in my family. And so, and, and, and so, and I shared that what I did with my anxiety and, and, and some of my thoughts, my crazy thoughts, um, in order to deal with it, I shared with my parents, but why? And, and, and that's, that's important, like to understand is there's a, a reason for that. So the reason I believe that I share with my parents, one, it was to end the tension and to build connection. What happened is my parents would soften, they would talk about it, right? Even with each other, they would respond with care towards me, um, you know, and it was to, to curb this fear inside, but it was really to try to bring and restore harmony. That's what it was. I was crying out that things were off in the family. And though this is how I would deal with it. You know, I'd ritualistically, ritualistically talk it out, in the hopes that my family would would become would experience uh, reunification, you know that my dad and mom would come back to loving them each other, 
that I would receive love from my parents. Um, and so I was, I was clearly communicating that something wasn't right in our family. As bizarre as what I fixated on, right? It wasn't about what I fixated on. I mean, there was a couple things, or one thing at least, that I fixated on um, that I want to touch on later, not in this podcast, um, that had to do with something going on in me. But, but the, uh, but the other behaviors were signaling that, um, that things were not right in my family. So this may sound strange, right? But it actually does make sense. You know, even though we project our fears onto something that's not the actual object, um, it's in a way safer to fixate on that. Um, something that seems so entirely unrelated than to say, I'm scared of you, or I hate you, or I'm hurt by you. And when we don't have that language and that understanding, it, it starts to surface in unique behaviors. So when you have kids that are acting out in ways that are destructive or self-destructive, and it's really communicating something going on, they're, they're responding to something going on in their environment. I, I really believe that. So, um, and so OCD and other anxiety behaviors, they usually manifest or hoarding or whatnot in ritualistic actions that help the individual feel secure and at peace, right? If I can, if I, if I have certainty, if I check everything in the house, if I, if I, if I, you know, do whatever I can to feel at peace, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. But the problem is, is that becomes an, that's such an illusion. And, and, and I believe the reason why OCD exists or hoarding exists is that there's trauma in the person's life. There's deep pain and hurt. And, and, and not that the person's a victim, but I think they've felt very alone in that. And I don't know if they've ever had people acknowledge the depths of their pain with them and have allowed them to feel that. So we start creating these safety, these, these external safety um, dimensions around ourselves. And the desire is to feel whole, to feel content, to, to um, deal with ambiguity and uncertainty. Um, but that all stems from pain, relational wounding, the schism we experience when we feel unsafe in our world due to the pains that we have felt in our human connections. So I think in a way we just, we don't want to touch the pain. We don't ever want to feel that pain. And unfortunately, that's not the path towards healing. The path towards healing is going into the hurt. Um, so again, I think anxiety, what I've learned is anxiety, first and foremost, when you feel anxiety, you're unsettled and restless about something. And it's communicating that, that, that there's something else that you're feeling underneath and there's something off about your situation, your circumstance. Now, it's not always relational. Obviously, um, you can have a traumatic flight experience or get bit by a dog or, and then you, you get anxious in the anticipation of going back on that flight or being around dogs or certain dogs. Um, you know, that's not necessarily relational. Um, but... To add to that, how do I explain this? Sometimes the way we deal with the fear about those situations started with the way our families helped us deal with fear growing up. So what I mean by that is we may be if we got bit by a dog, um, and some people, if they get bit by a dog, like they they don't 
they're not startled. They don't get afraid, you know, maybe a little bit, but it doesn't create a disturbance for them. But some people become very terrified. And I think what they're really scared of is that fear. And that that fear of the fear, I think, has to do in a lot of ways with n- not our loved ones not responding well to us when we are afraid and helping us be okay with the fear and allow the fear to be there. So that's what I mean, that, that it, it definitely co- continues to connect back to our relational experiences. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, or anxiety can kick in when we're feeling overwhelmed. We've, we've put way too much on our plate, added too much to our life, or the present situation is there's, there's so much stimuli happening that it's, becomes unbearable, yeah, the anxiety comes up because it's too much. We have to back away. Um, but the, the point of whatever we feel anxious towards, it has to do with, I, I believe, something being avoided uh, that needs to be attended to. It, in a sense, anxiety is really kind of communicating, like, pay attention, look within. Um, and, so, and so I've noticed in myself that when I turn away or I pull away, from from something um, that that maybe is just below the surface that I've yet to face, this is anxiety comes up. So for instance, there was one time I was having just a moment of quietness, um, and uh, this was last year, and I started to feel anxious, and I realized that when I started when I felt anxious, I um, I realized like. I didn't like feeling lonely or I didn't like not knowing or, and, and, and I realized that I even felt angry about that. And so I, I noticed that once I paid attention to my anxiety, it brought me to something, uh, something underneath a little bit of a deeper level. Uh, another experience, <laughs> there was a couple months ago, there was a, um, I became disappointed or I felt disappointed over a situation involving a woman I was attracted to. And it didn't work out. And after the phone call, or a phone call, not with her, but just a phone call, I felt really disappointed. And I noticed immediately I started to feel anxious that was paired with this disappointment. And, and when, I, when I noticed the anxiety, r- shortly after that I realized, oh, I'm really angry. Like, I'm, this is beyond anger. Like, I am enraged. And the only thing that made sense to me was, I'm going to go for a drive. And so I went for a drive, and I just, oh my God, I looked like a murderer. Uh, uh, Well, not a murderer, but I mean, I was just like a sports fan or something. I was so, so pissed. And I just let that out until until I didn't feel angry anymore. And And I noticed that shortly into expressing all that, my anxiety went away. Um, so I'm learn. I've learned that this emotion is drawing me to something else, and uh, and so, and and that was one of those moments where I realized, oh, I'm really pissed. Um, another situation I had was I had some conflict, a conflict with one of my parents. It didn't end well, and I went and spent some time with a friend of mine. <laughs> but as I was driving there, and then when I was driving back, I felt very unsettled over the lack of repair between us. And, um, and I knew deep within me that I, I had to return. I had to go back. I, I had to, um, you know, I, I had to get back to connecting with this person. And, 
and share what I was unsettled about. And But the more I stayed away, which in all honesty, I tried to create, I tried to rationalize why I shouldn't go back. Um, but I knew that anxiety was way too strong, that it was communicating to me that I needed, I needed to return. I needed to work through this. Um, and it wasn't just for that relationship. It was also for me because, you know, I'm terrified of uncertainty of, of con that comes with conflict or what the person's going to do or being vulnerable and intimate. Um, you know, for so long I tried to avoid it, but, um, but now as I'm older, as I've gone through a lot of healing, as I'm more connected to myself, I just, um, that unsettledness just grows louder and louder until I listen to it. So, um, so I want to just communicate that as much as anxiety is this nuisance, because it is, it is a nuisance. It's meant to bother you. Um, it shows itself for a significant reason. Now that's fine. If you want to do some of the things like <coughs> deep breathing and, you know, or calming exercises, but I want to present something very different, which is your anxiety is actually telling you to look at something, to face something. I remember working with a client and he came in and a younger client and he was feeling anxious all the time and he didn't know why. And I tried, you know, as a new, as a new therapist in the field, I, I thought, okay, well let's, you know, let's do a workbook, which I don't like workbooks. And it, basically I went against everything that I didn't like, but it, I had no other tools or understanding of what was going on. And, uh, we did some deep breathing. Why don't you try this? And then it was one of our last sessions or the last session. And I started exploring more of his family dynamic and come to find out this young man is, feels some anger towards his mom, but he buries it. And I'm thinking, oh my God, it's been that all along. And so now people might argue with me and say, well, how do you know that, Ben? Okay, well, maybe I don't know it entirely, but I have a good sense that that's what that was. And when I look at myself, I know that when I bury emotions, when I intentionally bury my anger, I feel anxious and it doesn't leave until I feel the anger and maybe even be vulnerable with the person I feel angry at <coughs> or anger towards. So, um, so pay attention to that in yourself. Um, yeah, sometimes you might need to calm yourself because the anxiety is so overwhelming. Um, but when you do, it's not about trying to get rid of it. Um, it's about getting yourself to a place where you listen to it. And then I think follow it. I think commit to following it and listening to where it's drawing you. And so, uh, so yes, I, I, anxiety is a powerful emotion. It's a beautiful emotion. It's teaching us that saying, you got to go back into the healing. You got to go back to yourself. You got to go back to the path. Like literally our emotions are directing us back to a path of freedom and wholeness. And may you listen to that in yourself and, uh, and allow that to take you into deeper places and more meaningful, significant, transformative places. Till next time, folks.